Hello, fabulous friends, fans, and superstars. Welcome to Synchronicity Web TV. I am your host, Nadia Shaw, and this is your moment of synchronicity. Well, I'm so excited to celebrate 2023 with you and to celebrate my absolutely brilliant friend. You've seen him so many times on my channel before, the one, the only Michael Barwick. Now, Michael Barwick is all over my channel. Like I said, he's taught at Synchronicity University a bunch of times before. He'll be back in 2023 as well. And when I thought about what are some of the big trends to look out for when we look at what's coming up for 2023, he was the one that I wanted to hang out with and talk with about some of the truly phenomenal astrological occurrences that we have coming up. The one, the only, my very dear friend, my personal Jupiter, Michael Barwick. Michael, welcome. I love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Nadia. It's always an honor to spend time with you. Yes. And we do spend a lot of time online, particularly. But just now the camera is recording. That's the difference. And so people are going to get to see us hang out. And this is really how we talk. Yeah, it is how we talk. Yes, we're going to we're going to jam about the planets. I That sounds so uncool. Jam. That is very dated, isn't it? That's so nice. Well, I don't know. I don't know. The expression, the planets are our jam. I mean, we astrologers, that's what we do. We're that's true. continually looking at the skies and, and trying to understand what it could possibly mean for us here on terra firma, life on earth. That's what we do. The yeah. jam is the, the music of the spheres and how it communicates to us and tells us something about our condition. Although... As I like to stress, even to astrologers who sometimes get lazy with their language, that the stars do not control us. They merely reflect what is already in progress, right? Yes, yes. They are a mirror. They are a mirror. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, so we're going to be talking about 2023. If you had to choose a sentence or two to encapsulate what is the adventure of 2023, what would you say? Oh, gosh. I mean, that's, it's so, there's so much going on. I, I mean, when you originally proposed that we talk about 2023, I uh, I thought, well, I haven't really been looking at it all that closely, except for my clients. And certainly haven't been paying much attention to it for myself. So, so it meant that I had to actually, you know, look ahead and look at what's happening. And it's a mixed bag, right? Like, as it always is, it's, you know, um, there's a lot of potential and possibility in it. There's also quite a few challenges for different signs, and we'll get into that. Um, I don't know how do you, how much detail we'll do, but but we'll talk about um, we'll talk about the flow of the year and the themes that are carried over from last year, the themes that are new this year, and uh, what this could mean for the twelve signs of the zodiac. Yes. Yes. So there are a lot of really big celestial things that are taking place, and we're going to go through them one at a time. I am going to ask you to start with, let's start by talking about the eclipses, because the eclipses are energy that we tend to feel very strongly. I like to think of like a new moon eclipse as a, a jacked up new moon or a, or a full moon eclipse, a lunar eclipse as a jacked up full moon. And as it is with lunar events, we actually experience them as emotional journeys. So yes, eclipses are going to be what we feel that much more. 
And we have the nodes changing signs, which speaks to eclipses starting to move into different signs. So let's take it one at a time. Let's start with the first eclipse that happens on April 20th, which is a total solar eclipse in the energy of Aries. Yeah, I think I think that, you know, to say about the, the eclipses in general, the fact that that we're having them move from Taurus, the axis of Taurus Scorpio, where we've been having the eclipses for a while, triggering off the Saturn Uranus square and bringing us so much in terms of surprises and mutations and frustration and change, turbulence in our conditions. Um, the, the fact that the eclipses are moving out of Taurus are, I think, a good, good news. Um, Taurus Scorpio, because Taurus Scorpio is really, it's an axis. It's really all about evolution and struggle. And, you know, Taurus is building up more substance and Scorpio is ripping it down. And there's this whole dynamic and push pull around, around evolving things and, and, developing things and and very survival oriented in terms of do you have enough food do you have enough resources uh you know and what are the demands what kind of changes am i being demanded to do so the fact that it's moving to aries libra is good news in that it means that we're moving from this evolutionary struggle and more towards an axis of aries libra which is really about relating to other people and and um, the fact that we're getting the solar eclipse in Aries and Libra says, you know, the solar eclipses, of course, are more related to the leaders as opposed to the people, which are the lunar eclipses. So what I see with these four eclipses that we have next year, the 20th, the, uh, the 20th and the 14th of October are the solar eclipses. Um, and the 5th of May and the 20th of October are the lunar eclipses, but they're in Taurus Scorpio. So the leaders of the world, I think, are getting it and moving towards more, uh, more strategizing and working together and, and struggling on that level and less about how, what do we have to do to keep things surviving um, is the, the movement of things. But for people, for the people, which is what the moon, the, the moon represents, or the body politic, as it were, there's still going to be struggle um, with with um you know this ev these evolutionary themes of of how do i survive under these conditions let's start with the first eclipse it's a north node eclipse at the last degree of aries and what i mean a lot of people will talk about um aries themes around uh direction and impetus and going in a in a in a direction that is um clear and single and its own individual self um but this is the energy that is eclipsed right this is the energy that is eclipsed so so there may be the feeling that i don't know what direction i'm going in i don't know what 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 i where i want to go but because it's a north node eclipse it may not be as much of a struggle as um as its south node of course it's the, the one happening in the south node in october in libra which is which is a south node eclipse which is again the energy of the sun in libra is uh much weaker than the sun in aries and so what we can expect 
is that um, where the sun in Aries was about, I don't know where I'm going. It's the sun in, in Libra is, I don't know where we are going. And under figuring out the dynamics of the push-pull in our relationships and connections with other people. Um, the lunar eclipses look really interesting. Um, I'm a little more concerned about the one on the 5th of May in Scorpio as it's a south node eclipse. And um, it's it's particularly, it's a lot of hard, hard aspects in it. So it's, it's, it's a lot of dynamism in it. It demands that you do something about that eclipse. Whereas um, there's a lot of dynamism in the lunar eclipse in Taurus, but it's conjunct Jupiter. And um, so I, I, and it's, the moon is so strong. So even though it's, it'll be an eclipse moon, the moon in Taurus is, um, is stronger there and conjunct Jupiter. I think it'll be fine. Okay. So there is something that comes to mind. I'm not trying to freak anybody out here and I'm not saying that there's necessarily going to be a repeat or anything because nothing is ever exactly the same as what it was. However, that 29 degree Aries energy, you mentioned that first eclipse we're going to have this year. Keep in mind that it was sort of the end months of 2020 that we had a Mars retrograde take place in the sign of Aries. And it was Mars direct moving back, just about to leave shadow at 29 of Aries. That was January 6, 2021. And of course, we know. Um, some of the tragedy that took place in the United States on that day. And so it should be rather interesting to consider how it is that we as a collective strive to make sense of what had taken place like two years earlier and how we are going to understand that very energy of perspective, of power, of understanding authentic power, of understanding... I mean, I just think about the anger that was there at the time, right? And well, there's a lot of there's a lot of frustration out there. I mean, I think that that's that's a product of of a number of factors that are contributing to uh, people's sense of of being left behind, of people's sense of of not understanding the world that's being created so quickly around us, um, and of course, we're contending with. Uh, as a species, major major problems in terms of how we're going to keep the civilization going without destroying ourselves and the planet in the process. It's very important. So uh, this eclipse, if it, you know, it it could kick into that cycle, that monthly cycle. Those issues, in particular, issues around power and control and protest and and um, and so forth. Um, and anger and frustration. Um, I think it's important. I mean, Aries is either enthusiastic or it's furious. So it's better to be enthusiastic, I say. Find something to, gen you know, to channel that enthusiasm of the sign into um, rather than, than be overwhelmed by it. In a, little, in a way, it's, I mean, we've been going kind of, we're in a similar kind of dynamic currently with Mars retrograde in Gemini in the in the sense that that uh, a lot of people are frustrated currently um, where you know in a much larger frame of time reference as opposed to the eclipse which is which is temporary I think eclipses generally speaking are more 
drama than trauma in most cases and really set the scene for these sensitive degrees that can get activated um, as the year goes on. But uh, in themselves, the, the, the thing that I really wanted to note, uh, you know, is the, is, the, is the slow evolution from the evolution axis of Taurus Scorpio and the movement to the relating axis of Aries Libra. And, and we'll see that shift begin this year uh, in 2023, but uh, it will, of course, continue uh, much more strongly in 2024. Yeah, and it's interesting because with that eclipse on April 20th, it's not too far away from Jupiter as well. Just like you said that the eclipse on October 28th is not too far away from Jupiter in a conjunction with Jupiter. So I hope that that Look, with Jupiter, it really can go either way, right? Because Jupiter is larger than life. But Jupiter can either magnify or Jupiter can expand optimism and hope. And so, yeah, a lot of it is what we are bringing to the picture as well. But it's interesting because you connected it to, or, or you just mentioned Mars retrograde. And of course, as we're finishing this year and starting a new one, we are in a Mars retrograde. But Mars retrograde in Gemini is a different kind of energy than Mars retrograde in Aries. And yes. you actually said something to me, and I actually quoted it in my most recent mm -hmm. weekly video scope. And that was, you said, Mars retrograde in Gemini is like a Mercury retrograde with a knife. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. And yeah. that's the energy we're starting the year with, like right out of the gate with Mars still retrograde, although stationing and then going direct on the 13th of January. Well, that's yeah. And and Mars in Gemini retrograde is, of course, um, most problematical for uh, the mutable signs. Right. Gemini, uh, Gemini, Virgo, um, Sagittarius and Pisces. I have the the most challenging time with this energy. Although for Gemini, it's 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 it represents a new opportunity for asserting oneself. But that's that can be that that there can be a lot of turbulence that comes with that. Um, with Sagittarius, it's very much in terms of experiencing it through other people and being confronted. And you know, for for Pisces, it's about what you know. Where am I? What should I be? Uh, rooted in where should my my foundation lie, and um, for Virgo, it's very much of what is the demand in terms of how what am I how am I supposed to speak speak up? I mean, really, Mars in Gemini should be about speaking up. It should be about declaring. So it's just these different places where um, these are the most difficult and challenging departments of life um, in terms of speaking up and or digging deep in the case of, in the case of Pisces. Um, whereas for Aquarius and Libra, it's probably good news that Mars is in Gemini retrograde, right? Like it's, it's good news from the perspective of finding new ways to do things or new, new, new innovations around how to think about things and how to position themselves. Um, they have the opposite experience of say, the mutable signs, the air sign, the other remaining air signs of Aquarius and Libra have a much easier time with it. Um, and similarly, somewhat advantageously as well, Aries and Leo also do well with this, this um, 
the relationship, the harmonic relationship there. Um, it's a little less obvious for the remaining signs, Taurus, Capricorn, Scorpio, and Cancer. Although, um, certainly, you know, as we say with all the signs, remember, signs are not people. They are signs and energies and patterns. And your mileage may vary. It's not just one sun sign. It has to take into account the whole horoscope. But nevertheless, we can say this in general about Mars and Gemini terms of its impact on the individual signs as uh, it, it finishes off its uh, passage at the end of March. Um, I think that that's, you know, and gets, yes. gets into cancer. Yes, that's the larger Mars retrograde season. So what that means is, yes, Mars does go direct in the middle of January, but Mars will still be in shadow and will leave shadow once we get to the middle of March. And then very quickly, Mars change signs, moves into the sign of cancer. That's really when this larger Mars in Gemini transit will be good and behind. Yeah, it. yeah, exactly. So it's been there forever. and uh, <laughs> Well, it's been there for about seven months, yes. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. So we start the year with Mars retrograde. But what's interesting, often in contrast to Mars, is Venus. Let's talk about Venus retrograde this year in the sign of Leo, no less. And I think that is really fascinating because the energy of Leo is like celebrity, it's an energy of being fabulous and what fabulous is, what we as a collective consider to be fabulous. But it's also an energy of respect and standing out in some way. Having Venus retrograde here, I think could bring some pretty interesting, if not really messy celebrity style moments. But of course, that's how I'm going to look at it. What do you think when you look at Mar Venus retrograde in Leo? That's going to be a big chunk of this year, too. Well, I think, I, you know, it'd be interesting to look at the price of gold during when Venus is retrograde in Leo, whether that reflects a change in value in gold. I mean, I, I don't really do the financial end of things, but, but just on the symbolism, it would, be, it would be interesting to look at it that way. I think Venus retrograde in general is about reevaluation of what is worth it to us all. And in Leo, it's about you know, our creative, expressive uh, values, what we do for fun, how we, how we enjoy ourselves, how, what we, what flash, what bling we like, what, 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 um, what, uh, how we, how we assert ourselves and create and get the world to reflect who we are, all the Leo themes around, um, and what we're really confident about, I think really at its core, where, where is our confidence is what Leo is always asking. Where does it come from? And where does it, where can we, how can we connect to that? So, so it, it, it collectively brings on this, this uh, chat, more challenging time for uh, Leo, Taurus, Aquarius, and Scorpio, because it's all the fixed signs. And the fixed signs as a group are very principle driven signs, right? That's why they are, they have the reputation for being so, well, to put it charitably, persistent, right? Very persistent signs, very centered in themselves, and very much not willing to change much because their, their allegiance is to their principles. So Venus and Leo will challenge their principles, will challenge 
um, what they think is valuable, think what they think is worth it to them during that time period. And it might be, um, you know, depending on who it is. I mean, it's it's uh, it'll be different depending on where it is for Leo. It's it's very much in terms of themselves and valuing who they are um, for Taurus. It's about what do they want to do with their home environment or how they feel connected to their family for Aquarius. Again, it's like who's who's um, who's confronting me about um, my values and whether I'm prepared to to live up to what I say I'm. I'm, I'm worth and what I, what is worth it to us, to the group, to the, to the relationship and Scorpio. It's very much about, is this really this, whatever it is in terms of the external job or, or vocational calling or participation in the com larger community, the larger world um, at large, whether this is worth it to them in terms of, do I want to keep doing this or, looking at reevaluating it. I do want to be sure to mention dates for everybody. And so it is June 20th that Venus will go into shadow. Then July 23, Venus will go retrograde, will go direct September 3, and will walk that path a final time and will leave shadow on October the 7th. Now, what's also really fascinating about this energy is that while we're having the Venus retrograde season, Venus is going to repeatedly reach out in square to Uranus, in quincunx to Neptune. And there's also a square to uh, Jupiter as well that's, that's sort of happening while uh, Venus is going direct. And so it's kind of holding tight that square. And so there are some really big themes here of just really in an instant, realizing what was once fabulous to us, what was once beautiful to us, or what it is that we thought love was actually yeah, something yeah. very different. Yeah. yeah. And it's breaking through illusions in a way that can be jarring, but ultimately, I think also encourages us to affirm a sense of confidence in ourselves, a sense well, of ownership of ourselves. Yeah. That's what Venus wants to get us to is the the core of what of where that source is because leo fundamentally is about um the sign that i mean you in the literature you you know you get this impression that you know the leos are the ones wearing the lampshade at the party but that is so not true like in not my experience of leo leo is much often much more introverted and well, that's the aquarians we're the ones who are wearing the lampshade right and we're calling the it a style statement yeah right but, right yeah Leo, Leo is about where, what is my source? Where is the, the source of my creativity, my expression, my, my, my uh, impression of myself into the environment? Um, Leo is, is, um, I tell you, did I ever tell you the story of I met this Leo taxi driver? It's like, it truly blew my mind. I, um, I stepped into a cab and I was talking to a friend. And he asked me about a mutual friend of ours. He said, so what sign is he? And I said, oh, he's a Leo. And he said, oh, that so fits. And then as we were having this conversation, we stepped into this cab. And the, the driver heard us and said, you know, in this gruff voice, yeah, like that means anything. And, you know, was totally skeptical about astrology. And um, anyway, I, was, I talked to him. 
and found out that he was, as it turned out, a Leo. And, uh, you know, and he didn't believe in astrology, which was fine. But the front part of his cab had a million colorful knickknacks, you know, arranged around, right? Like he'd impressed his style of what he liked into his environment of his cab, just like a Leo would, right? Just like the sign would operate. So, so it was one of those sort of aha moments of even at this level of this person who does no understanding of what Leo is necessarily, except in the popular literature, is in fact living out the pattern in the way that he can in his environment it was truly remarkable. Um, but that that expression of style really comes from this sense of my own sort of inner source, my inner, my inner love, as you put it, that, that spark of, of fire that, that, that gives us the confidence to create. And, you know, I don't know what it is, why it happens. Anytime Venus goes retrograde, I start itching for a new wardrobe, for new clothes. I, I just can't, I just feel like it doesn't matter. I got to get it. I got, and then after once Venus goes direct, I always, always change my mind. It always happens. And something I was very intent on doing, like there was a tattoo I really, really wanted to get. And then Venus goes direct and I'm like, oh goodness, thank God I was aware that Venus was retrograde and I didn't go ahead and do it. And so it's interesting how our own understanding of what is stylish with Venus retrograde can change. I use this one example of you know, there was a period of time, this was just before I met you. So this was around 2006, 2007, around there. And I remember I went through this period where I was wearing all black all the time. Like I loved it. It was so chic and everything. So for like months on end, I only wore black. And then I remember Venus going retrograde and I wanted like different colors. And so I bought outfits that were head to toe yellow and pink, head to toe yellow and pink. Venus goes direct. I never wore that yellow outfit again, as long as I live. I never liked yellow. And then I never wore that yellow outfit again. That's the kind of stuff that happens. So I would say to people, enjoy, you know, there's always wisdom to everything that's playing out. But yeah, you just might change your mind. So consider where it is that if you're looking to make changes, especially aesthetically speaking, that, you know, just know that it's fine, have fun, but it's a good idea not to, not to consider anything too consequential. Well, this is, this is the thing about retrogrades. This is the standard warning about, you know, reconsider, rethink, and, you know, reevaluate. I mean, um, uh, Aaron Sullivan talks about how all retrogrades inherit kind of the archetypal pattern of retrogradation from Mercury, which goes retrograde more than any other planet, as you know. And in next year, we have Mercury retrograde extra. We have it beginning the year and ending the year and twice during the year. So we're lucky enough, we have four, four Mercury retrogrades to deal with in 2023. And what's more, they're all in the Earth signs. So they reflect having to deal and rework things on a physical level. Whereas what's happening with Venus is very much, it's on the level of, it's the fire sign Leo. So it's very much on the spiritual level in terms of what it is that we value, what it is we, we, it's worth it to us. Um, it's, it's a good idea, you know, to research what you might want to buy, 
maybe go through your wardrobe and and get rid of stuff that no longer works for you and you know those kind reevaluate your own stuff but may i just say uh, i have during a venus retrograde or a mercury retrograde gotten rid of stuff given away stuff mm-hmm. and then once that planet went direct i was like oh man i wish i hadn't given that away i wish mm-hmm. i hadn't done that and so okay yeah maybe for some people maybe for you michael it works to clear space during a retrograde but i've learned clear the space but like put it in a bag put it in the garage because well, after sure, the direct, sure. then you really know yeah yeah if you want to be extra safe it's like yeah get it rid of it, it weigh it out right that's venus too right weigh it out but nothing you know, too consequential with the retrograde. Nothing in my too consequential. Opinion. Certainly don't start a relationship under, under Venus retrograde. Well, look, it, it just could end up being different. Now, I have a story about that, too. I will tell you, the person that I was with for seven years, right, broke up with him two years ago. So we met, and I remember, like, Venus had gone into shadow, and he was just kind of floating around. And then the day that Venus went retrograde, we had our first date. And within like two weeks, he basically moved in is how it happened. This is the abbreviated version of the story. Venus goes direct. It was right around the time Venus went direct that he tells me, I have to tell you something, but I'm not going to tell you now, maybe in five months. And I was like, yo, dude, you're telling me right now. And (laughs) Basically, he was a lot younger than he had told me he actually was. And so it just ended up being one of these funny things, not a hugely consequential thing. But I mean, look, in the first five months with this dude, I was ready to like get married and everything. I was so heads over heel. And then, of course, Venus leaves shadow. You're on the other side of it. And then it's like, okay, here's a real person that you got to deal with. So Yeah, that Venus retrograde, it may not be what you think it is, but it could end up being something better. But you may have to wait a little bit to really figure that out. Well, it, it, you know, it's a it's a process of of, uh, you know, depending on where it is, what what's worth it to you Mm. and challenging that in that area of your life. That's really what it is. And and often emerging from the retrograde, you know, Venus is a morning star and has a reputation for being quite aggressive. The warlike Venus is more like the, the, the not to say that there'll be war, but rather that it has a charge to it of, of something new wanting to assert itself after the retrogradation. And um, yeah, I think, I, think you, I think you hit it, Nadia. I think... I think if we really want to boil Leo down, it's about that love and 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 how much we value it. And Venus is going to challenge us to to make it more of a make it make the real love more of a priority. Now, you did touch on uh, Mercury retrogrades happening in Earth signs this year. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about that with Mercury retrogrades? The four Mercury retrogrades we have this year. All yes. happening in Earth signs. Yeah, it's like we really, I think a lot of us are going to be looking at what we have manifested, what we want to manifest. It is about getting honest and real with ourselves. It's not going to be enough to be in a dream or a hope or a wish that we may have with some of the other signs. It's about, okay, what makes sense? 
What are we actually living? Where does our action align with our intention? And where is it that we're saying one thing, but our actions are saying something completely different and getting honest about that um, isn't necessarily the easiest realization to have. And yet I do think that the energy can actually end up being really supportive and how, I mean, look, I think Mercury retrograde is always an invitation to get honest with ourselves. Although Ooh. that full honesty normally doesn't come about during the actual retrograde, but normally after Mercury goes direct. And so, yeah, being honest with ourselves about what we're actually living, what we have manifested, what we think we deserve to manifest. I think all of that may come into focus for a lot of us. Well, there's no question that Mercury retrograde in the Earth signs is going to is going to you know reflects the need to walk our talk, right? That it's it's not enough to to have an intellectual formulation and air. It's not enough to have some aspirational castle in the air and fire. It's not enough to have some memory of some past thing that it could be if Mercury was retrograde in water. It's in Earth, which is now, in the present, making things work. And things that have worked during those periods may not work. And we have to find new connections to make things work in a very real and concrete way. I think you're right. It is about manifestation, if we want to look at it that way, from the, the Earth element is always about, you know, a very results-oriented element in terms of, well, what have you actually done? What have you actually accomplished? What have you actually put in motion? What steps have you actually taken? So forth. Very much that way. Uh, but I, I, I just, I wanted to, when I was looking at 2023, I wanted to note that, you know, it's going to be an Earth. So <laughs> there could be, you know, standby for some inconveniences, which is true of every Mercury retrograde, but it's going to be particularly on the practical Earth plane. So those of us that, that where Earth is not our, our strong suit are going to find it uh, a more difficult time. Um, I think the earth signs themselves will figure it out, but it, it will will need them to figure it out um, on our behalf. Um, as there'll be a lot of stuff to figure out. So let's talk about, I, I, there are a couple of big things that come to mind about 2023, that Saturn changing signs and Pluto changing signs. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we well, get into we those talk. very big things? Yeah. Well, I know Saturn, Saturn, and and Pluto are it's big news, and we will get to it. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about Uranus and Taurus and Neptune and Pisces, which is a continuing theme from last year. I'm curious as to what your thoughts are about. Um, well, you know, Uranus and Taurus and Neptune and Pisces are. I'm profoundly disappointed with Neptune and Pisces in a way, um, because, well, you know, Neptune is about disappointment quite often, but, but um, I know that there's a lot of talk in modern astrological circles of Neptune ruling Pisces, but if Neptune was really ruler of Pisces, Neptune and Pisces would be this glorious global movement of unification for truth and, and an ultimate perception of, of fundamental reality. And instead, we have some people who are waking up to the global needs of our time. And there is, there is some evidence to that. But in that very dual Piscean way, there is also other forces at work that are, are struggling and fighting with one another. So there's this whole dual and crazy ideas that are out there, right? Just crazy ideas. 
Uh, it's interesting, you know. yeah, that you that you see it that way because I see it more as, of course, Neptune and Pisces is going to be the crazy ideas. Of yeah. course, it's going to be that sense of you know a desire for a spiritual experience, but also you think about the age of Pisces. Yes, it was like spiritual leaders, but it was also false prophets. It was, oh, for that, sure. yeah, yeah. And so, to me, it, it makes so much sense that. Neptune and Pisces would, on the one hand, have a seeking inspiration, but could also be very disillusioning as well. I actually think that Neptune and Pisces is why it is that astrology has gone through such a boom since we've been in 2012. That really was when it felt like things took off in a big way for astrology and how it was able to connect with that many more people. Because I think people were looking for spiritual meaning. They were looking to connect with themselves and each other and the environment. But it'll be interesting to see what happens when Neptune leaves Pisces, too. Because well, that's, yeah, Neptune, yeah, Neptune and Aries. That's, yeah, that's that's a whole other trip. Oh, um, yes. Well, we'll talk about that when we get well, to yeah, it got, later yes, on this about, decade. But I, I, you know, Neptune and Pisces is, 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 um, interesting because of course saturn is going to join neptune and pisces um in march onwards it gets out of aquarius which is good news for the aquarians and the fixed signs in general and they need all the help they can get considering how much challenges that they're facing this year Um, um but Saturn and Pisces, Saturn and Neptune in Pisces at the same time is very much the reality principle versus the anti-reality principle in a sign that, you know, is visionary to put it most charitably about Pisces. It's, it's, but clarity and, and crystallizing something from these two influences will be, cha- is always challenging. Uh, and it's always the case that no matter what with Neptune, there's always, it's never as good <laughs> as it sounds in the beginning. It's never as as um, uh, trailing clouds of heavenly glory the way a Neptunian thing can be before it's anchored into reality in some way. Because when you anchor something like Neptune into reality, into the concrete world of Saturn, or Pisces for that matter, then what you're going to get is inevitably smaller and flawed and material, as opposed to this, you know, this thing that can be anything and shimmers with this glamour of, of its potentiality, of its, of its sparkle. Um, so it, 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 it represents a new, a new coming to terms for the mutable signs with Saturn coming into Pisces in that um, they particularly are going to have demands in those, you know, Pisces in terms of itself and defining itself, um, Sagittarius in terms of, you know, where its roots are, where it's anchored, Virgo in terms of what's coming at from other people, you know, got to be more efficient, Virgo. Um, and Gemini in terms of what am I doing in the world? What is what am I being called to do? What are my true responsibilities in the world um, with uh, with that? So with these are contradictory energies and, um, you know, the mutables will have to steer a course between 
the ideal and what's practical. Um, I think that Saturn in Pisces reflects a new spirit that um, from the Saturn in Aquarius, which has been very sort of rule draw, rule driven, and very um, uh, efficient and effective, but but um, um, in 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 conflict with um, Uranus and Taurus, which has been um, uh, you know has been a tur- is always a turbulent time when Saturn and Uranus have a hard aspect with each other because Saturn likes order and Uranus likes chaos. So it, it's always a struggle between those two. So that will um, that will alleviate some of that tension. Um, but um, um, for the mutables, it's the challenge of the real and the unreal. And or the ideal and the real, or the ideal and the, the what's realizable. And the important thing to recognize with dilemmas like this is, and it's often quoted, but it's often true that the perfect is the enemy of the good. Voltaire, yes, the perfect is the enemy of the good. And so it'll be interesting to see how Saturn, which can sometimes often have to do with doing it right, which is sometimes associated with perfection, sometimes, uh, in a sign that is so subjective, is not necessarily one that is thinking about doing it right. It's about what feels right. What feels right or a certain way isn't necessarily about what is required. And so it'll be interesting to see how Saturn uh, works through that dynamic in the sign of Pisces. Well, it's it's uh, you know we can expect um, I think we can expect some interesting developments in in chemistry, right? Because that's ne- that's the Piscean realm um, with these two planets there. Um, um, I think I think that 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 uh, that's one sort of manifestation of this sort of providing a structure for what is fluid. Right, in terms of the Piscean fluidity and Saturn's attempt to bring order to it. So it's like, you know, we're going to record all of our dreams and we're going to organize all of our fantasies and we're going to construct monuments to our wishes. Like it's 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 very like Saturn on this level will try to get hold of all the the all the flotsam and jetsam and put it together in some way that will make sense. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's um, it's it's uh, it's a it's a Jupiterian Saturn in Pisces. So it, it can be very. It's got to be. It's not only got to be. It's only got to work, but it's got to be morally correct. Too. Yes. Well, Jupiter, ancient ruler of the sign of Pisces, so yeah, Jupiter, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I remember, you know, our mutual friend uh, Robin Armstrong, right? Hugely mm-hmm. famous Canadian astrologer, Robin Armstrong. I remember him saying that uh, Jupiter needs Saturn. Neptune needs Saturn. I remember him explaining this to me and breaking it down. And it made a lot of sense because Jupiter and Neptune can be so dreamy and Saturn can turn that dream into something that helps us to manifest that dream, to make that dream real. Right. Saturn, Saturn slows things down, right? That's it's, you know, if you want a sentence that, that, that tells you what Saturn is, it's, 
gravity slows time, right? That's all <laughs> Saturn words, right? Yeah. Gravity slows time. So you can slow it down enough to be able to bring it into some kind of concrete form, right? That's the, the crystallizing power of Saturn. Now, of course, it's based on you have to take responsibility for bringing that form into existence, but the power to do that lies in taking responsibility with Saturn. Mm -hmm. So uh, collectively, we're called upon with Saturn in Pisces to take responsibility for our dreams, I, I believe. Okay, I have been very patient. I have been so good. I have been so restrained. But you know, what I really want to talk about, what I could have spent this whole video talking about, mm -hmm. The thing I'm so looking forward to, the thing I've been talking about for years on my channel, Pluto. <laughs> well, it's only there for a short period of time this year. The Capricorn this just year. this year, next year. It, it 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 Capricorn is it's mainly in Capricorn all next year, but it does have this time period where it dipsy doulas into Cap into Aquarius. Dipsy doulas, dipsy doulas, dipsy doulas, dipsy doulas, because it doesn't stay. It goes in there. Yeah. It gets to zero degrees. Yeah, just a little taste. Yeah, makes yeah. the station at zero degrees, which is you know every everybody uh, you know everybody's brain should like ah oh, zero degrees. Zero degrees of Aquarius is, is this enormously important degree. Not just because it's the first degree of Aquarius, which is important in itself, but it's also the place where the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction happened in, at the end of 2020. And it's also the place where Saturn conjuncted Mars at the end of March 2020 and right. shut down the whole world. This right. social restriction got an adrenaline rush. And so it'll be really fascinating to see. Pluto stepping over that same degree where, on the one hand, we had Saturn conjunct Mars, and then at the end of 2020, we had the great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. Wow. Wow. This is, to me, and, a monumental moment. Yes. And while it's there at zero degrees, it gets squared by Jupiter, right? That's the other thing, right? We yes. get one pass of Jupiter squaring Pluto at zero degrees. Of Aquarius, it is yes. it's it is spectacular, and I can understand why you know why you want to talk about it, and why you, we could do a whole show on it. Like it's just it's a whole thing into itself. Pluto changing, Pluto changing signs represents a new obsession for the collective. Where up to now, with Pluto and Capricorn, we've been obsessed with our institutions, with business, with billionaires, with the one percent, with with the hierarchy of, of society, with the structure of things, and we've been seeing the dark face of those of those elements of of, of organizational structures that Capricorn represents. Now, Aquarius represents social social structure. It's e equally as Saturnian as Capricorn is. I know modern astrologers like to say that Uranus rules Aquarius, but it's not been my experience with the Aquarians that I know. Um, Am I not uh, so Uranian? What are you talking about? I, I consider myself a very Uranian person. Well, I am an Aquarius sun. You are? Yeah. Uh, 
you are an Aquarian person and you are Uranian in your own way, but that's because you have Uranus configured the way it is in your chart. Yes. I, you know, discretion, I will not discuss it. But <laughs> it's square my son. <laughs> square your son, right. Yes. Not I just square your son, square. but exactly square your son. And we really want to put not too fine a point on it. So, of course, you are Uranian Aquarian, um, similar to um, Bill Maher, who's also a son Sun Uranus person. He has. I didn't this, know that. Okay. Yeah, he has his. Interestingly, since we're talking about this degree, Bill Maher has his son at zero degrees of Aquarius, and he has Uranus at zero degrees of Leo. So this this aspect will do big things for him, right? This will this will be big. This will be big news for Bill Maher. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll be big news. Um, wow. Because yeah, it's, it's a significant alignment. Yeah, and so. It's interesting because I know he has a grand square in yes. his chart, and it's all like that beginning of the fixed signs energy. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's um, um, it's it, it's he's anybody who's got anything at zero degrees of Aquarius. It's 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 an important degree in terms of yeah. getting you know why I say dipsy doula put the left foot in and get get a little taste of what Pluto and Aquarius is about. And it'll be about, um, it'll be interesting to watch the papers at that time. It'll be interesting to watch what stories show up when Pluto goes into Aquarius and the time that it's in there. And of course, the Jupiter-Pluto square, um, that often is like a big legal thing, Pluto-Jupiter. Um, you know, it's, it's um, I remember having a client and, um when Pluto squared his Jupiter, he was arrested. Wow. Um, for, yeah. um, that's, <laughs> I mean, he, he, he came out the other side, but he got himself into some legal trouble. And, you know, I mean, it's a, as an astrologer, I mean, you see, you see, you know, you see clients from all walks of life. So, yeah. you know, that was, that was his, his experience of Pluto Jupiter. And it is like the big forces move when Pluto Jupiter is involved, like the big influencers, the big players, the big, you know, push comes to shove when Pluto and Jupiter get together. Um, and wow. it's very persuasive. Mm -hmm. I remember back when uh, we're going back to 2008. So Pluto moved into Capricorn. And what was the first thing that happened? Like, just everything crashed right the economy i should say yes yeah crash and these too big to fail that whole phrase was the dominant phrase too big to fail is what we started associating with zero degree capricorn pluto yeah but what happened was just as as pluto stepped into uh, an earth sign at the beginning of capricorn it was being supported we had like trines to saturn trines to jupiter and that was part of the characteristic of those early months and years and what i noticed happening that was quite in interesting was that you'd get this trine of jupiter to that pluto at zero or one degree of capricorn and you would get these bailouts you would get these yeah. you know pad these packages i forget what it was called but at the time like these these packages that were meant to support the economy, activate the economy, support these institutions. This is going to be different, though, because this is a square. 
This is a square. It is not a trine of Jupiter to a zero degree Pluto in Capricorn. It's zero degree Pluto in Aquarius, very different energy, but being squared by Jupiter. It should be interesting to see what shifts, what changes, and how it is that we as a collective are thinking, what do we have to do? Who says we have to do it? Are we even going to do it or not? Now, Aquarius, I think about a few things with this energy. You think about what happened back in the end of March 2020 with Saturn conjunct Mars at zero degrees. The world shut down. Oil became worthless. That's the other thing we often forget. Overnight, yeah. just like that, oil, it costs more money to hold it than it, than it was you know, even making at all. Oil became literally in a negative value. And I think about how Pluto changing signs is, it tends to indicate um, a shift in power or our understanding of who has power and how so much of world power right now is determined by who has the oil. What happens if oil is worthless? What happens to those superpowers in the world if oil is worthless? Who's going to have the power then? I think it's going to be the power of technology, the power of ideas. And I think well, we're going to see yeah. that yeah, show up for us. It'll be interesting. Well, you know my views about the Aquarian age. I don't think we're in the age of Aquarius until everything is being run by solar and wind, right? When the civilization is being run by solar and wind, then you can talk to me that this is the age of Aquarius. In the meantime, it's run on oil and coal which is all these little creatures that died, the Virgo side and Pisces, they turn into oil. And then where civilization is still running according to a Pisces model, Pisces-Virgo axis as opposed to Leo, Leo Aquarius. And obviously, obviously there is a movement afoot to, to change this and to become less reliant on non-renewable resources and to harness more of the power of the sun, the ocean, um, uh, geothermal, all these kinds of things that we're looking for alternative energy and to get away from oil um, because it's so pervasive. Everything we buy, everything we touch, everything that we we uh, we consume is really covered in a thin coating of oil as mm -hmm. brought it to us or created the chemistry for it or the, the drugs we take. That you know, there's so many things that oil, the hydrocarbon industry. Um, gives to us. Um, unfortunately, um, it's also causing climate change, and we need to do something about that on a global level. It's a global problem. And Pluto in Aquarius is, I mean, one of the things that one of the things that we can look at as Aquarius is, is the future, right? Aquarius is about the future. Now, all the fixed signs, to be fair, are about the future, but only Aquarius is the air sign that can articulate it, right? Can bring, you know, the concepts and the ideas about what the future is, what, what the future is involved with. How are the fixed signs associated with the future? Well, they all have an awareness that things are going to continue and persist over time. So. Very fixed people are uh, goal-oriented. They know how, not so much that, that oh, I know how, I, I know it conceptually, I have this idea of where does it want to go. They just intuitively 
put themselves in positions where they're going to endure for long periods of time doing the same thing or stabilizing in a certain way. Whereas, you know, um, I go through this a little bit with my in my relationship because my partner is very cardinal mutable and I'm I mean, I'm mutable, but I'm quite fixed as well, uh, quite probably more fixed than I am mutable. So, so uh, yeah, he's all over the place doing, 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 but, but he doesn't necessarily have the, 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 how to point himself, right? We think of the fixed energy as um, the axle on the wheel, right? That, that doesn't move very much, but is so important in terms of setting direction. So all the fixed signs have, a connection to the future, but it is Aquarius that is the air sign that can articulate it most clearly. Whereas Taurus might not just know, or Leo just express, or Scorpio, well, just transform or obsess in whatever way that Scorpio obsesses about it. But in in Aquarius, is we can articulate it. We can, you know, we can, to be fair to Scorpio, have a psychic sense about it. But you know, because water, that's what water is. But Aquarius, it's about articulating it. So this is why Aquarius has this reputation of being 50 years ahead of its time, always, that it's it's speaking to a future that hasn't yet arrived um, because it sees the future and not only sees it, but can articulate it, which is the key. These are the things I love about myself. <laughs> making it about me Let's it's about yes. you nadia it's about you you articulate the future that's what there it is go. well i think as you said that i thought maybe that's why some people associate astrology with aquarius although i know you don't agree with that you think of astrology as associated with gemini no 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 not gemini mercury mercury, mercury. okay mercury as ruler of Virgo and Gemini, right? Yeah. Both yes. come into play. Yes, you're right. Okay, before we go, final thoughts. What do you want to leave people with when it comes to 2023? Um, well, we didn't talk about we didn't talk about the mundane aspects, but I think we should uh, briefly talk about it. Like Jupiter's relationship to Saturn is going to change, right? Because of its quick transit and and movement from Aries into Taurus. Um, and how quickly it goes through the remaining part of Aries um, um, uh, till um, um, until until May. until yeah. May, right? It's mm-hmm. May. Jupiter and Aries until May. Uh, here are my notes. Um, so Jupiter Jupiter starts out the year in March, making the semi square to Saturn, which it's been doing, you know, which has done before. It'll square Pluto in May, um, and then it sextiles um, it sextiles Saturn in in June. So I think my own sense of it is is that that when I look at these big mundane, uh, and then it goes on to to semi square Neptune and does three passes of that going into twenty twenty four. So I look at these Jupiterian, these are the big aspects that, you know, the big rocks, as it were, that are whirling around the sun. Jupiter's changing relationship to Saturn, I think, is probably good news for, from an economic perspective, that the slowdown won't be, won't be crushing, but there will be a slowdown, you know, reflected by, at the beginning of the year, but by, by the summer, things should work themselves out. Um, The Jupiter-Neptune semi-square is, you know, well, you said with Jupiter and Neptune, very dreamy, 
You know, I think that that what we'll see is a new yearning somehow to to um, you know for something bigger, something larger, something more inclusive, something more potent. Um, but um, of that of the Jupiter transits, the other one that is worth talking about is the fact that the station happens so close to the Venus retrograde. That is a party. Like early September, plan a party um, because it's wow. um, it's it's uh, it's a good time. I, I mean, what else to do with it? I mean, you have to watch that you don't go too to too much excess with Jupiter. But but you know, if the universe is giving you a square between Jupiter and Venus, it's like well, that's have fun with it. Yeah, you could have fun with it. it. Yeah, but yeah, that fun, you might end up really overdoing it. But hey. Well, don't overdo. Just don't overdo. (laughs) It's hard not to. I know. I know. But, you know, it's, um, it's. That's where Saturn comes in. That's where Saturn comes in. But we're allowed to have a good time now and again. And, 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 um, uh, and it could be quite, quite a, a, a buoyant time. Um, people will be feeling good with no reason to feel good. Um, you know, particularly other than the fact that Venus and Jupiter are doing this little dance together. So, um, as I said, it's a mixed bag for the year. Um, you know, different influences. I mean, you're going to go into great detail over the year of all these little things that we've talked about. And I look forward to seeing your reels and YouTube videos about your take on, on all of them much more, much more, um, closely than we've been able to talk about tonight. But, um, you know, I think my sense of it is that it's a good year. It's just, it's, there's going to be some inconveniences along the way. There are some challenges. Um, some new things are coming in with this Pluto. What are we going to be obsessed with over the next little while with Pluto and Aquarius will be different. Um, but, uh, all in all, I think it's a pretty good year. The future is magical, Nadia. The future is magical, Michael Barwick. I always have so much fun with you. I love you. I adore you. Just thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me on camera. Because we do hang out quite a bit on WhatsApp. But it's really nice to hang out with you and record that stuff. Yes, it is. There's nothing more fun than talking astrology with you, Nadia. Well, everybody, you know, you're going to see Michael Barwick again in 2023 and so much more here on my channel and of course you can find him as well all those links are in the description below michael once again thank you i adore you i love you and thank you everybody out there for watching and until we connect again take care bye Bye.